and your credit score can be tanked by doing this. There's programs in place where they can give you the entire down payment. Hey y'all, welcome to the Barbershop Quintet Podcast, the podcast where my guests and I debate our own top five lists of current and past topics that are relevant for millennials like you. And who am I? My name is Tony Lee and I'll be the host for today's show. After we debate our top five lists and back up our standings, my guests will enter the buzz cut lightning round where they will each have to quickly formulate a convincing buy and an argument on top five lists or topic of my choosing. Based on those arguments, I, the decider, will pick which answer resonates with me the most. Only catch is that each guest has a total of 50 seconds for the argument. Go over the time, or if they can't finish the argument, they'll get penalized points, and I may give the oppositional guests an advantage. Brand new year, brand new episode, you know, and a brand new format. This is the very first time I'm going to do a one-on-one interview, a good friend of mine. Now, before I introduce this friend of mine, you know 2020 has been kind of a rough year and we look back and we oversee the big things that has happened and my guest could probably agree with me that a bunch of people started new businesses bought new homes had kids got engaged got married even so we can't overlook that stuff but with 2020 passing 2020, 2021 comes in you have brand new goals and one of those goals for people around our age is looking is basically looking to buying a new home and there may be a lot of questions and certainly intimidating factors into buying a house and not knowing certain criterias and questions to ask and whatnot but luckily for you today I have a good friend of mine and a brother of mine from McMaster University that I met a few years back Currently, he's a licensed realtor and a sales representative for Remax Land Exchange Limited Brokerage located in Kincardine, Ontario, three hours northwest of Toronto by Lake Huron, serving the Kincardine, Tiverton, Port Elgin, Point Clark, Ripley, and Goodrich areas. Now, I would like to introduce my good friend, Connor Coltrup, and if you can introduce yourself, tell us what you do, current projects or anything like that, and a statement that encompasses your top five list. What an intro. I feel like a celebrity. Thank you for having me. As you said, my name is Connor Coltrup. I'm a real estate agent in Ontario, and I specialize a lot in new build construction and also new buyers would kind of be my two specialties. So I've been in the business for a few years now. I work on a team with other agents that have also been in the Remax Hall of Fame. Kind of a, a little teaser of my list, I guess, would be trust. No matter how far you get into the list, it all comes way back to trust and how you get it and who you give it to. Thank you, Connor. Now, I think this is the first time where I'm doing this one-on-one interview. And this is actually also one of the very few times where I won't have a list myself because I have no clue. I have no clue, no idea on how these things work. Of course, I worked at a bank. I had a more a mobile mortgage specialist. I kind of seen the ropes through the financial side of things, but I, and I've rented out places and I know the renting market and how to get into that, but I've never actually been through the buying process myself. And I, but I've seen friends go through it. So luckily for our listeners at home and for myself, I'm, it's going to be a learning experience because you, you have, quite 
you have quite built a reputation for yourself in a marketing approach through your Instagram profile, something you do called Monday markets or market Mondays. I am I dyslexic there? Can you like confirm no, with yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's the Monday market, and every Monday I kind of jump on, uh, throw the camera on, and update people. You know what's happened in the last week in real estate, and then uh, I try to end it off with some sort of real estate news or advice, or it changes week to week. But yeah, just try to educate people because you're right. There's so much that goes into buying a house especially when it's your first time it's mm. terrifying for people so a lot of my job is to try to you know allay those fears and make it you know a fun experience instead of this anxiety-ridden nightmare horse like a lot of people think it is and one thing that i would have to agree with you upon is one of those fears would be because the name the word sales is in front of it people get scared of that because they don't think the sales representative, the realtor or the real estate agent is there, you know, to really look out for their benefit or for their best interest. But instead they're looking out for, you know, certain, you know, their own qualms and needs, but really they're there for your help. But yes, there's a fee just like any other job, whatever service you get, there is a fee for it. And sadly that's, that's, you know, that's that's how the world works and uh, sadly or or not sadly but that's how the world world works and for yourself you're real to yourself so getting the first hand experience getting the first hand advice from someone who's in actually in the field so thank you for being on the podcast today connor we really appreciate your time and your expertise today now of course, there's only one person on so we won't be doing the usual gimmick as you know for listeners at home is generating the random numbers so we can decide the order but because there's only one person i guess you're the one who goes first and then you're the one who goes last so um, with that being said can you please start us off with your list for the top five tips for first-time home buyers purchasing a home sure hey man it it's like you read my notes when you were doing that intro about you know how people can be scared of salespeople and what to expect and all that um and maybe ironically, my first point is find a good agent that you can trust. And I firmly believe that should always be your number one step. Nothing else needs to be done before that should be your first go-to. And it's, I mean, spoiler, probably, well, is the most important thing because it will lead to everything else. So there's two different types of agents, kind of overarching types. There's the big and the small, and they both have advantages. But in the end, it all comes down to what you want. So there's the big, busy agent. They likely have a team behind them. They often know about listings before they ever hit the market. Mm -hmm. They might have more negotiation expertise or wider influence on the market. You know, even their mm -hmm. clients are bringing things on. Lots of advantages there. There's also the smaller agent, sometimes called the artisan agent. They don't have a lot of clients. Sometimes they don't want a lot of clients. Hmm. So one big advantage they have is they can devote an exceptional amount of time to you specifically, communicate with you every single day about the micro markets and make sure all your needs are being met. <clears throat> that can be really nice for a first time buyer. Yeah. One is not better than the other, but mm. neither of those styles work at all unless you're able to give them your full trust. So when they give you advice, you know it's meant for your best interests. Mm -hmm. That's so 
Yeah, I, I mean, I could I could talk about this all day. Um, <laughs> you know, just just on this one on this one topic. Um, yeah. The, I, I think the best way to start out uh, when you're looking for an agent is you have to build rapport with them. So the two ways to do that would be hire someone you already know or trust. Yourself, for example, if you were looking for an agent, I would say you should give me a call. If I don't work in the area that you need to buy a home, I can find you an agent that I trust. And hopefully, through extension, you can trust them. Wow. Um, if you don't know anyone in the business or <laughs> you don't necessarily <laughs> want to work with those people for <laughs> whatever reason, yeah. um, it, you know, maybe first hot take of the day, I would interview them. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it sounds a little crazy for you to interview someone you're going to yeah. pay to do a service for you. I know it's a little backwards, but when I get a phone call that says, Hey, can we grab a coffee sometime? I'd like to interview you to be my agent. You bet I am putting on my game face and getting ready to show up because I know this is a serious client. Mm. There, there are so many different types of agents and there's no one right way to do everything, but it's yeah. very important you find an agent who works for you and has a similar talking style. You want someone you could relate to, of course, and just have a very frank conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you spend five, 10 minutes just talking to an agent and telling them that it's an interview, you'll quickly find out if they're the right agent for you or not. It'll become very apparent. It's as simple as, are you getting along or not? Yeah, synergy, basically. Yeah, synergy is a, a, a great word for that. Like, there are just so many forms to fill out and, you know, papers to sign and all that. And all of it can seem like legal jargon. But if you have someone that you can relate to, they'll know how to explain it to you in a way that makes sense to you, which yeah. is, <laughs> is, is so important because you should be going over all these forms long before you ever step foot in a house. Yep. Like when I have a brand new buyer, mm -hmm. I'll bring them in for a meeting to go over what an offer looks like for a house that you're going to sign. You know, what conditions are. A lot of people don't have any idea what those are. So that way, when it comes time to move on a house that you like, you've seen all these things before. The forms aren't brand new to you. You're not trying to understand things, you know, under a time constraint. So I'll bring people in, you know, for an hour, hour and a half plus meeting and make sure that they're comfortable with these things before we go to see a house. That way, you know, when we're out there, we're having fun. And when it's time is to make an offer, uh, you know what you're doing. Mm. So mm. It's, it's all about, you know, building that trust, finding someone you can really relate to. It all just kind of spreads out from there. Yeah, I think um, I can really relate to that because I had, it wasn't really, again, like I, I alluded to earlier, I, I don't have expertise into buying a home. But I did have to sell my how like my property, my home that my mother had under her name when she passed away. And it's funny you say that because I'm a person who tr who takes a long time to trust someone. And if I knew that one thing where that piece of advice when you said, oh, you can actually go and interview someone, that was something I never even thought about because I'm assuming you can do it on the flip side too, when you're trying to sell a house, if, am I cor correct or not, uh, not correct? Oh, absolutely. And okay. it, that is much more standard. Someone yeah. who is selling a home will definitely be interviewing multiple agents because then it becomes a different conversation. How good can you negotiate? How good can you advertise? Things like yeah. that. But I, I firmly believe both sides 
should be interviewing multiple agents and yeah. there's no harm. You know, if you spend 10, 15 minutes talking to someone and then you talk to another agent, you like the second one much better. Mm-hmm. Just give the first one a call and say, really appreciate your time. I've decided mm-hmm. on going a different direction. Mm-hmm. They will seriously appreciate that phone call. And then they, they won't be trying to contact you again because no, they know sure. you're working with somebody else. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you put that in there because again, I think people have this misconception that, you know, they're, they get so intimidated by the unknown that, you know, that's, that's what's stopping them from getting what they want or getting what they need efficiently. You know what I mean? And just going through knowing what's out there for them and how to tackle that problem. Just like you said, like doing interviews is something I didn't even know myself. And now even knowing that, oh yeah, they won't like, it won't take much time. And if it does take time, that's the only thing they will waste. Like you're not wasting anything else, but I mean, they're out there, you know, showing their best face, putting their A game on because it's a job interview interview for them as well. Yeah, it's going to tell you a lot. Like if they're, you know, reading their phone, checking their watch and all that, if they're not giving you the time of day on the first meeting, you know, how are they going to treat, you know, all your money? Like this is a big expensive investment. You need someone that you feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's worth the time. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. <clears throat> the second one kind of builds off uh, the first one. We talked about, you know, there's so many forms to explain. A good second side tip is a- ask the same question during an interview to all the agents you speak to. And that'll quickly tell you what their conversation style is mm. to uh, how they explain things and if, it, if it's something that resonates with you. And one of the best questions to ask is point number two, signing a buyer's representation agreement. Okay. So as a buyer, I firmly believe it should be your goal to sign one of these with an agent. It should literally be something you, you are asking to do as it will show to your agent that you are not someone who's just a window shopper. It will make you stand out so much more. If you show up to an agent and say, could you explain your buyer representation agreement to me? I think I'd like to sign one. They're going to start paying attention. Mm. So really simply put, it's the official form. It's only a page or two long that hires the real estate agent to be on your team. Okay. So before, before that is signed, or if it's never signed, there's actually nothing tying you two together other than simply speaking. But like with anything, with a surgery, you got to sign forms to, you know, hire yeah. your doctor. You, you got to sign on for lawyers, for schooling. You know, you got to pay tuition. It's, it's just that official form that changes it from a conversation to a business relationship. Yeah. So, you know, there's a fun history lesson about how it came into being. But, you know, that's a pretty long story. Maybe that's for another <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the most important thing to understand about it is that it's the promise that you intend to work with this agent. Mm-hmm. And likewise, they wish to represent you. Mm-hmm. This is the absolute ideal situation because it just means everyone can relax at that point. Mm-hmm. The buyer knows that the advice coming from the agent, kind of like you talked about at the very beginning, is genuine. It's in their best interest. Because what this form does is promises mm-hmm. that when the buyer finds their home, it'll be through this agent. Mm-hmm. So then the agent doesn't need to use, you know, what's called closing tactics, which we hear a lot when we're talking about car salesmen, for example. Yep. You know, they can get a sometimes a sour rep for that. An agent won't need to use a closing technique on you because they know their commission, which is what we call, you know, the paycheck, mm-hmm. is protected because eventually when you buy a home, 
it'll be through them. Mm. So it, it changes the whole dynamic and flips it on its head. When you guys go to see a home, you can, you know, say things like, ah, oh, man, Tony, uh, this house sucks. Like the staircase is going to fall in on you. <laughs> you know, the, the kitchen's way too small for your family. These bedrooms, your kids are quickly going to grow. I mean, they can bash a house. And likewise, it gives you the comfort as a client to say, I really hate this. Can we just leave? Yeah. Like I, I tell my clients as a way of explaining this form, it gives you the comfort of knowing that if we drive up to a home and it just didn't look like the pictures, it's in a, it's in a bad neighborhood or you just hate it. We don't have to go inside. I'm not offended. My time's not wasted because yeah. I know eventually we will find a home together. So it just changes the whole dynamic. Like coming back to that car dealership, you know, when you go to a car dealership, there's no question who the salesman is working for. He's working for his boss. Yeah. You know, the chances of you leaving and then coming back to that same dealership on a day where that person is working and also buying a car through them are so slim. They have to close you. Otherwise, they're never going to get paid. With a buyer's representation agreement, none of that is true. You guys mm -hmm. can take your time. You guys can explore many different options, even go back to see the same house multiple times or different homes in different areas. And it just allows everyone to breathe and frankly, just have fun. That's interesting. Okay. Now I have a, I have a follow-up question for that. Now let's just say in the scenario or the case that and you could shoot this down if it's like totally false or it's like a no-no, it's like a red rule, whatever, right? What if the client has multiple buyer's representation agreements with multiple realtors and real estate agents? Is that, one, is that illegal? And two, is that frowned upon? Is it illegal? No. Are you legally on the line to pay all of those agents? Yes. Oh. You you can sign as many buyer representation agreements as you want, oh. but everyone you sign does entitle that agent to receive compensation when you purchase a home. So there's two really important things to note for that, though. Hmm. The first uh, excellent question, by the way, I don't get asked that a lot. So, so three things. <laughs> so, <that's laughs> um, so the two notes on that is one, you can leave a buyer's representation agreement if things aren't going well. Okay. Say you hired me and it turns out I'm just the scum of the earth. I really wasn't what you thought. I'm not paying attention to you. Your needs are not being met. We're just not finding that home. Mm. You can fire me. I, mm. I cannot refuse to let you go from a buyer's representation agreement. Mm. Just make sure you leave the first one before you sign the second. Okay. Um, so why is that? Why is that? Why do I have to do it in that chronological order? Like I would have to fire that person, leave that person and then sign the next one. It's just the insurance. To, so okay. like the comfort of mind to know you might not owe multiple people commissions. And okay. the second point of that, and a lot of people also don't understand this as a, a buyer, you're not truly paying your realtor. The seller is so when you buy a home for um when you when you buy a home it, it is true you are paying the seller for that house mm -hmm. and yes they are using that money to then pay off the realtors <laughs> so if you follow the money trail yes the buyer pays it 
but it's not extra. So if you buy a home that's whatever, $250,000, you are not paying the realtors additionally to that. There are some unique cases where that might apply if the seller is not using realtors and refuses to pay those fees, but you, you would know that very long ahead of ever signing any kind of documentation. Mm-hmm. But no, so it's highly recommended to use one because it, it shouldn't cost you a single penny. And again, if it would, your realtor would tell you they're obligated to say so. Yeah. Okay. You should really only sign one, one at a time, but no, if it's not working with an agent, absolutely leave that agreement. It, it's only meant to benefit the both of you. And if that relationship isn't working, yeah, say goodbye to them. And just to clarify, I don't know if you mentioned it in there or maybe you did. And I just, you know, it was all mixed up into that information, but no, if in the chance that I do fire this realtor, you know, real estate in- agent, and then I, we contractually, you know, null and void that, that buyer agreement. Right. And I jump onto the next one. So in the process, in the process of me, contractually firing, firing this person, do I pay those fees off to that person? Like that? No, there's, there's no monetary gain or punishment for signing or not signing one of those things. It's only when a house is purchased. Ah, okay. Now, now just in case, if you had a realtor and things were going well, and then you fired them and the next day, you know, you bought a home without them, for example, there are clauses to protect the realtor for that. But if you legitimately let one go, then no, you, you would not owe them absolutely anything. Okay, perfect. All right. Yeah, that was just a devil's advocate question, you know? Just uh... No, that, that's, that's a good question. But no, these forms are designed specifically to protect the clients. That's really their whole purpose. All right, perfect. That's, that's really good to know. Wow. Yeah. It's like a non, you know, non-guilty free card. It's like a hall pass in a sense, like for you just to like test things out. You know what I mean? Until... It, it just lets everyone know who's on whose team. And yeah. you know, like in a boxing match, you want your coach in your corner. That's yeah. what your realtor should be. Yeah. So asking them to sign a buyer's representation agreement lets them know, you know, you're, you're a serious client and should be paid attention to. There you go. Perfect. Moving on to the third point. Yeah. Much shorter. You know a lot about this one. Number three is uh, get a pre-approval before you ever look at a home. So this one's pretty straightforward. You should never step foot in a home, in my opinion, without one of these. (laughs) Maybe a bit of a hot take. I don't even think you should waste your time on realtor.ca until you're pre-approved. Pre-approval is really quickly, basically a one-page document that'll say, If your finances don't change drastically in the next 90 or sometimes 120 days, the bank will very likely lend you X amount of money. Mm. So that is the, not guarantee, but as close as you can get to knowing how much you can spend on a home, which is Mm. really important. Like I I, I can't stress that enough to know where your finances are. The worst thing I think you could ever do for yourself is you go look at this just gorgeous $600,000 home. You know, it's got the beds the size you want. You know, it's got the pool in the backyard, the kitchen the way you want it. Mm-hmm. You get all excited. You plan where your furniture is going. You tell your friends. And then you go to the bank asking for the money. And they qualify you for $250,000. Because 
while you could still afford a home in a lot of markets, the whole rest of your buying experience, you'll be comparing everything to this very expensive home that you never could have bought, but you went to see it anyways, and now your heart's set on it. It, it's it's just human nature. Once you've seen it, stood in it, you know, felt it kind of thing, it's there and it's real and you know you could get it. And then you're just so disappointed that it's not the thing you could get, even if it was never realistic. But yeah, for renting, it's very different because you just won't go see a place that you can't afford. Yeah. But for some reason, a lot of people don't consider that for homes. They'll go see something that looks pretty when maybe that's not the place or the money that they can afford. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about kind of a really nuanced thing that I think most people don't know. It's probably one of the biggest things that I've had a reaction of, oh, really? Mm. When I mention it to people was how to get a pre-approval and what it can do to you or, mm. or do for you. Mm-hmm. So there's two ways to do it. One, as you're very aware of, is you just go to your bank and you simply ask. They'll set up a meeting and they'll kind of walk you through it, go everything, go over everything, and you know, more or less, Bob's your uncle. In my opinion, the big advantages of the bank, it's often very streamlined. You have kind of a singular point of contact, and there's also a thing called relationship lending, which I know they'll never admit to, and there's probably someone tracking my house right now for mentioning it. Um, <laughs> uh, if you've been I'm using VPN, long... don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank kidding. you, NordVPN. Not a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never admit to it, but if you're a long-term client, sometimes they yeah. can help you out just a little bit. Not always. But the other way, which a lot of people don't talk about, is the mortgage broker. So right out of the gate, mortgage broker is free for you to use. It will never cost you a dollar. See, what most people do, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it a lot, is they'll mm-hmm. say you bank with CIBC. Yep. You'll go to CIBC and you get pre-approved there. And you know you get your, your, your pre-approval, they'll give you your mortgage rate, but then you want to compare it. It's just human nature to see what else is out there. Mm-hmm. So you'll wander off to TD, then to Scotia, you get the picture. Yeah. But by this point, you've sat through five plus meetings, wasted several hours and your gas, and your credit score can be tanked by doing this. Each time you go to get a pre-approval, your credit score gets looked at by itself. That's not a bad thing. They have to do this. Yeah. But if you look at it too often, it can, it can affect your credit score yeah. because banks start wondering, well, all these other banks pre-approved you. How come, how come you didn't take any of them? Like what's going on here? Mm. They, they start to get suspicious. So that's when a mortgage broker comes in. If you go to them first or sometimes second after you go to your own bank, maybe, They'll collect all your info one time, and because they're licensed professionals, the banks trust them, they'll send out your info to all the banks, then wait, and they'll get the results back, and you get to see, almost like trading baseball cards kind of, which banks are willing to give you a mortgage for what rates with all the terms and conditions on it, and they'll explain it to you in a very matter-of-fact way. From there, you just pick one you like the best or works the best for you. But kind of the big thing and a reason why I, I do recommend mortgage brokers sometimes is if no bank will give you a mortgage, they don't just say, sorry about your luck. They'll mm-hmm. help walk you through why the banks were saying no and how to fix it. Like mm-hmm. when I went to a broker, he told me like, Connor, this credit card is doing great things for you. Keep putting money on that and paying it mm-hmm. off. But then he said, this other credit card, you haven't used it in a while. 
and it's actually starting to affect your credit a while. If you're mm -hmm. not going to use it, you should really just cancel it. If you have a lot of debt, they can actually project how long it's going to take you to pay that off. So they can give you a timeline of maybe what you, when you want to come back in and kind of check again. So if you're not there for some reason, they can really help show you how you could get there. They'll give you mm -hmm. a bit of a roadmap. Interesting. Okay. Now, now these, these mortgage brokers are just for, because I know we had one at the bank that I worked at undisclosed would mortgage brokers be synonymous with the banks more so like, or, or would they be their own independent um, sort of on their, like working on their own independent basis in a sense, like where can you um, find them? Both. But what I'm speaking of is more of the independent ones. So okay. there are mortgage specialists, which you'll often find in a bank, but that is a bank employee. So if you went to say Scotia and you talk to their mortgage specialist, they're giving you a Scotia mortgage. Mm. But if you go to an independent mortgage broker or one with a company that's just not specifically affiliated with the bank, that's when they'll go and they'll check all the different banks. And they'll also check things like credit unions, which a lot of people forget about, which are very similar, can still offer mortgages, but it just gives you so many more options. Like I've had clients that are buying, you know, in small town, you know, Ripley, Ontario, but their mortgage is out of Alberta because their mortgage broker went above and beyond and basically scanned Canada to find them, you know, the best rate for the lowest percentage. And that's how it worked out. So it's just all about options. Wow. That's yeah. That that's a damn, that's, that's a scenario I've never heard like ever, like someone who's based out of Alberta and just like, and, and that is not to bash on banks. Um, I just want to be clear on that. There are many times where, yes, the bank you bank with is going to give you that best rate. They really just are. They want to keep you as a client. Yeah. But sometimes you can find much better rates elsewhere. And that's where mm. a mortgage broker can come in. Perfect. All right. On to number four. Yeah. Number four is fun. I call it the list, which always you know scares my clients because they don't know <laughs> what it means. But... <laughs> It's just a little two-page document I give them, and it's just a little list. I always find that writing things down are helpful to put things into perspective. Mm. You know, everyone writes down New Year's resolutions. You know, that you write down your shopping list when you go to the grocery store, so you don't. Even forget. this podcast is a list because you're listing off your top five. So, oh, good transition. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm a host. That's why I create. I'm kidding. Go ahead, keep talking. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, that was, that was perfect. I loved that. But uh, yeah, I like writing things down. So I have a little fun page I give clients, which simply asks about a whole bunch of different topics, pools, garages, parking spaces, number of mm -hmm. bedrooms, number of bathrooms. And I get them to tick off if it's a need, just a want, or something they don't want. This is good for everybody because it makes you, the buyer, stop and like really think about what do I actually need in a house? There's so many people that just come up and be like, well, I, I got to move. I got, I got three months. I got to find a place. And they haven't really narrowed it down to what do I need? Mm -hmm. And likewise, for the agent, like myself, it helps me to ensure I know exactly what they are looking for. Mm -hmm. A lot of people simply haven't been asked these questions before. They've never had the opportunity to have the chance. So I save time by not bothering them with houses I know don't fit their needs. Or likewise, if it has a ton of the don't want categories, we just skip that house and everyone's life is easier for it. So it's just a fun little 
exercise to make sure everyone's kind of on the same page. So it's like a filtering sort of thing in a sense. Yeah, it, it's kind of a filtering. Um, you know, coming back to the the trust thought, it's almost like like a fun little game. You just hand it out and see what comes of it. I always get a chuckle when I hand it to a couple and uh, oh, okay. they hand me back two very different lists. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, interesting. It, it starts really important conversations because, you know, yeah, I won't, I won't stereotype either way, but, you know, sometimes one partner really has this idea in their head, but they've just never verbalized it. So when they see their partner's list and they're totally opposite, these are things we need to talk about. Yeah, no, that's that's surprising because it could be more than just the home purchasing itself, right? It could be. Yeah, know. I I um I can't reveal their names, but I, I yeah. had a couple just a month or two ago where I handed them the list and I got them back. And the the one partner had said that very large master bedroom was incredibly important to them mm. and they wanted a pool and all these other things. But the other partner sent back that it was very important that they get four bedrooms in a home, which is no small task. Not every home has one. Yeah. So I got back these lists and I'm looking at them and, you know, immediately it came to mind, what are your guys' plans for the future? They were a young couple that, that started, you know, the family conversation of how many kids we want to have Whoa! because they had very different expectations the one partner simply wasn't aware that their their other partner wanted quite that large of a family and it all worked out we found them a yeah, home yeah, but yeah. it was just one of those things that they just never stopped to fully flesh it out they knew they wanted kids at some point but that was that was it oh i want kids you want kids done that was a but, conversation uh, that didn't need to happen until that the moment when it needs to happen and and i don't know fortunate or unfortunate but i guess that scenario brought that conversation now and they had to they had to because this this again mm-hmm. it's cause and effect it's a chain effect right like you buy the house you it's an important investment like you said you're buying a house you have to picture yourself living in it how long are you going to be living there for what's your future looking like we'll be able to you know fit that future that you're looking for and if not then you gotta look at something else because you can't be moving every i mean you can if you or if you want to or if you need to but ideally someone wants to just settle down in one house and just never leave you know what i mean well see it's funny you say that because that's a point on the list of how long do you intend to stay at this home oh really okay um and you know you'd be surprised some people say oh two years well, the other partner says well, like six or seven years. And again, that generates a conversation. Well, why are we moving into this home then if we're just going to you know, move right away? Like what's the long-term goals here? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's just, it's important to write it down because uh, sometimes you never realize what you want until you have to answer. Ooh. Oh, it's getting a bit spicy in there, don't you think? But before we get to finish our final spots, we're going to take a short little break. Usually, podcasts would have sponsor spots like these. I don't, unfortunately. I just want to take this time to tell you guys to go get yourself a glass of water, yell at the clouds, or message your friends of the hot takes you've been hearing thus far. Or you can hop onto our IG account at 
bbshopquintetpodcast and email us at bbshopquintetpodcast at gmail.com for your comments, questions, for any updates or input. Now, we will see you in a few. Ooh, the drama. <laughs> the tea. Yeah. No, that's funny. I guess I don't know if this would be your last because you have a extra point, but I guess your fifth and your sixth points. I rolled it into one. There's a, I can go on a lot of tangents for this fifth one, but yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the fifth one was I tried to bring it back to a sports analogy for you. You got to complete your team. Okay. So that's the home inspector, the lawyer, the insurance agent, the moving team. So, you know, lastly, like any good draft day, you got to finish off your team. So your, your real estate agent, they're the, they're the team captain. They, uh, yeah. they kind of, they kind of man the ship you know, they lead you through the chaos, but you also need a home inspector, you know, your forward, your lawyer is your defensive line, making sure everything goes smoothly. Your insurance agents, the goalkeeper and your, your moving team, no shade to them, but they're your substitution line because you, you just, you need a whole lot of them. <laughs> Now, so the good news is your agent is going to help you find all of these things. That's why the most important step is always, you know, finding that agent first because they'll guide you through all this stuff. You know, agents can't specifically say uh, who to hire for lawyers and stuff that actually goes against our rules, but we can offer, you know, a pretty succinct list of recommendations. So, you know, you're headed in the right direction and you're hiring people that we would trust. I, I think it's critical because so many times people you know, don't stop to think, you know, you need the lawyer to close the deal. <clears throat> you need the home inspector because um, maybe a hot take, but I don't care what anyone tells you. You need a home inspection. There's the things you know, there's the things you don't know, and there's the things you don't know you don't know. And that's what the home inspector is for. <clears throat> it is very rare. A client has the wherewithal, especially as a first-time home buyer to simply walk into a home and know all the problems going on inside. Mm. You know, what is the insulation made out of? The furnace type, how old is that? When was it last cleaned? Are all the pipes working? There's so much that a home inspector checks. Is the voltage on your sockets, you know, working correctly? Are things reversed? That I just think it's absolutely critical. A lawyer is gonna check so many things that you could never imagine. And you also don't have a choice. They're mandatory to close a deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The insurance agent, you can't get a mortgage if your home is not insured. Mm. A, a lot of people don't stop to think about that. So it's just kind of the, the last tip is making sure you're rounding at your team because having, you know, a grade A real estate agent is good, but you got to make sure the rest of your team's up to par too, because those mm -hmm. are all very important roles. Mm -hmm. Now I have two questions on that. Um, well, in a comment too. I'll start with a comment. I love the sports analogy. That was a very fun like comparison, but wrong sport. I don't watch hockey. So that's that's one. Two. I don't watch hockey either. I didn't know what I was saying. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like four, a team captain. Okay. I'm like thinking basketball. And then you said forwards. I was like basketball. And then you said defensive line. I was like, is this uh hockey then? Like what's going I, on? Uh, I tried to do the research because I know you're a basketball guy from watching the show and I, I could not figure out which position did what. So I didn't want to pub publicly embarrass myself with that. No, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. You, you just, that's okay. I'll give you the pass. My two questions are this one. 
with this team, do you also, because we, we just spoke about this recently. Now, would you also add to this team your mortgage broker as well? Yes, I would. Okay. Yeah, and... I, I didn't include it as a mandatory line because, you know, some people go with their bank and that's more of a large institution. But yes, absolutely. Okay. And my second question is, out of your whole team, how do you assemble it from chronological order that makes the most sense before you buy a home? Oh, good question. Okay. So first, I, I still do truly believe it's the real estate agent. After that, you are going to want probably your lawyer and your insurance agent around roughly at the same time. Okay. They're not interchangeable, but you know, similar necessity on them. Yep. because your, your mortgage needs to get in place. So you need the insurance agent for that. And the lawyer has to apply the mortgage and all that. So mm. of, a, of equal timeline, I would say. Probably the home inspector afterwards. This is going to happen before you are firm on the deal. But I think you should, you should roughly know who your lawyer and insurance agents are fairly early on in the process. It should not be a last minute decision. I guess, fun fact, lawyers actually need a minimum of two weeks they ask for to close a deal. So it's, it's really not something you can throw off to the last minute. Fair enough. But I'd say home inspector and then moving team. And uh, you don't have to hire, you know, professional moving team. I hmm. certainly recommend it when you can, but I mean, everyone's got friends, so. Yeah, give them a case of beer, you know, give them some uh, food. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. If you want to be their friend, though, don't move on closing day. Ah, uh, why not? huge tip you know if you i know you and i have but for the listeners if you've ever gone to college or university do you remember that day where all the leases expire and all the student homes and the whole city is moving at once yes but finding it, a truck is a bitch it feels a lot like that so really? when the, we say when the deal closes which in other words the day you get the keys to the house it's officially yours you're not going to get those until about two or three in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, Interesting. The lawyers just need time. There's a lot to check that goes along behind the scenes that you'll never see, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. But don't expect to get your keys earlier than two to three. You might get them at noon. I've seen people mm-hmm. get them at one, but plan for two or three. But even if you get it then, that's a long day of just sitting there agonizing, waiting for that phone call to stop by and get them. And then you have to start moving. Don't do it. Plan to move the next day if it's possible. I know it's not always, yeah. but, but if you have that luxury, give yourself the one day buffer where your friends or the moving team can just show up in the morning and get to it. Because if there's any problems with when the house closes, you know, God forbid. <laughs> yep. Yeah, honestly, your time is wasted. Your hopes are dashed. Your friends' mm-hmm. times are wasted, and maybe they're not available the next day. That's true. So, just like you said, don't move on the first or last of a month because that's when all the other renters are moving. And yeah, best of luck finding a truck. Yeah. Now, actually, you said something that is very important. I wanted to touch upon was the lawyer aspect. Now, you said that they have to do more behind the scenes that you you would think they would have to do right now just like the mortgage broker versus a mortgage specialist now when i was trying to sell my house back in the day i had a real estate lawyer someone who was specifically you know that's their niche right now for this would a typical normal lawyer be okay for that 
In a word, yes. You, of course, want a lawyer that has experience with it. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you specifically need a real estate lawyer. They're great. They're great. They're very trained in what they do. Obviously, they specialize in it. But yes, uh, I deal with, you know, quote unquote, normal lawyers all the time, both perfectly qualified. Hmm. Okay. It's more about overall experience. Right. Well, thank you for your uh, list and uh, breaking that down very eloquently and very in depth as well, because I think that's something that from the past uh, podcast all the way up to this one, this is the one where I really need you to go in depth and be very transparent about. And I had so many follow-up questions as well, because I think there, and I, I still also believe that you could have said much more, but again, we can't have a five to eight hour podcast. You know what I mean? So we're trying it. it you're, you're doing your best. And I, and I thank you for putting your time and effort into really breaking it down for myself and the listeners at home, just so we know the gist or, you know, have a little guide to know what we're dealing with here. Yeah. That was the biggest thing I was trying to just give a bit of an overview. Cause you're right. I could, I could be monologuing here for hours, but I'm sure your viewers wouldn't appreciate that. But kind of like what you said is most important thing is if you don't understand something, just ask a question. Yeah, That's exactly. always the answer. And that's where uh, most of your points came in from trust, right? You have to, once you trust your team, your real estate agent, I mean, that's when you can ask all the questions you want. Right. And there's, there's no such thing as a stupid question when you know the people you're asking are on your side. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue because we're going to head into the question segment now. So first question here is now one of your points was it might overlap, but um, again, if you could just like maybe divulge or maybe dive deeper into this question in terms of just specific things, but what's the most important factors to look into when you're buying or looking for a home? So I know there's a list. I know you check in like, like number bedrooms, a pool, whatever, like a big home, big backyard, whatever. What are other things that you should be looking as well inside or even outside that list for that sake? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So some of the most important things are uh, finances. You got to make sure that's tight. You, you know, they, they joke about going house broke all the time. You can't do that to yourself. Mm -hmm. You're always going to be a little stressed out, especially when you buy your first home. Mm -hmm. Some people joke, if you ain't stressed, you ain't trying, but don't push yourself too far. You should never put yourself in a place where, you know, if you miss a paycheck, things are about to go, you know, wrong side up. So make sure your finances are in order, pay off debts if you can. But for when looking for buying a home, physically, you should look at the foundation a lot. I think a lot of people skip over that. Before you ever step in a home, I always take my clients around the outside of the house and I literally start looking for defects. You know, they're looking at, you know, how pretty the garden is and what the neighborhood is like. But the agent should be looking at, is the foundation solid? Is there any large cracks? You know, are there ease troughs? on the side of the house, which could show there's water damage going along, which kind of leads me into the next thing. Make sure it's something you can handle. Yeah. Uh, an important factor in buying a home is who are you? You know, I'm, I'm no hero. If my house needs, you know, new drywall and new floors and all that, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I know people who can, but mm. if, if you're not able to fix something yourself, can you afford to hire the person to fix that? A, a lot of people you know, maybe overestimate their themselves or more likely underestimate how big the problems can be. 
but it can stack up big time. So you got to be honest with yourself. You know, what can you handle in a house? And if you can't handle it, no shame. Just, just know that. You should look at the driveway. You know, sometimes ugly can become dangerous and driveways are, <laughs> those are expensive. But yeah, I'll come back to foundation. If there's something wrong with the foundation, honestly, my advice is just to walk away. It, it is just too much money, especially mm-hmm. as a first time home buyer. You don't want those headaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's kind of swing left a bit from the looking at the you know house in general. Now, what about the area? What are we looking for here? What should like? I know it's subjective. I know it's based on what people's wants and needs are. But what are we looking typically? What should like their list, first time home buyers list, look into? Like, if you got kids or blah blah like. Sure. That's, that's tough because like you said, it is so subjective. So I guess the angle I would take it from is a resale value. You know, you probably won't be in that home your entire life. The most, yeah. most residents in Canada typically move on an eight to 11 year span is roughly mm-hmm. the average, but a resale value, if it's on a bus route, that's going to help. If it's close to shopping, uh, that's going to help. If it's walking distance to shopping, it's going to help a lot. Yep. If it's close to schools, I mean, honestly, maybe check out that school. How, is it great? Is it fine? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Any uh, news in the, in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe, maybe do your research a little bit. If it's near amenities, I guess is the simple word. If it's yeah. near things people enjoy, if it's close to the water, that property is really going to hold its value, even if the house isn't doing so well. That, that that's true on a lot of lakefront communities because you know the simple thing is well if you don't like this lakefront just go find the next one mm. <laughs> it's not that simple mm. so yeah. yeah yeah everyone's list is different with bedrooms and what they need and all that but for resale value try to think of the big picture things what do most people enjoy if it's got a good couple of those chances are it's going to hold its value pretty darn well markets right. will always fluctuate but Real estate always goes up over time. So you're playing the long game with it and try to appeal to the masses and you make your money that way. Mm, Fair enough. Now, speaking about money, that's actually another perfect segue. Now, the next question for you is, we're talking about finances and you should like go home broke and la-di-da, right? And one thing that we really went into not 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 much but you did kind of like touch upon it when we we were going through your list there can you break down or differentiate for me um, what does it mean to be pre-approved and or pre-qualified because those are two different terms correct if i'm not mistaken they're the same (laughs) um they're they're largely spoken about in the same terminology i'd say to the general public they're they're definitely the same Pre-qualified is, I guess, what a lot of people speak of as pre-approvals. Pre-qualified would be when you go to a bank and they're saying, you know, if your finances don't change within this time period, roughly, you should be able to afford this. And pre-approved would be maybe more specific to a new build where you go to them with a specific plan saying, can I buy this house? And they'll say yes or no. Okay, it's It's very largely... The similar thing I'd go so far to say is some banks consider them the same. Others differentiate. 
All right. So based on the pre-approval, pre-qualification, right? And and correct me if I mistakenly heard you, but you have to know your finances before you buy a house. Like that that analogy of the six hundred dollar home, and then you know the most disappointing thing is that you find out that you can only afford a two hundred fifty thousand dollar home. Correct. And so, with that being said. I know there's a big thing that's common knowledge, but let's just put it out there in the air so people don't assume or kind of get the number mixed up. What is down payment and how does that work and what's the number? For Excellent that? question. A lot of people massively misunderstand that <clears throat> and where it comes from is also an important thing to know too. So a, a down payment is the amount of money you are literally putting up right away. It is leaving your bank account. It is no longer yours the day you own the home. And then every day after that, you're paying the mortgage, the monthly fee where the bank lent you money. So in Ontario, at least, the minimum down payment you can pay is 5% of the total purchase price of the home. So if it was $100,000, 5%, five grand just for really simple math. Now that is only when you are moving into it yourself, which for most first-time home buyers is absolutely the case. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different scenarios where if you were going to buy a rental or if you have bought a lot of homes, you could owe up to 20% down payment. Now, 20% is a number that comes up quite frequently. For any hopeful investors out there, the number will rise slowly at around four to five homes owned total. That doesn't mean all at once, not over your lifespan, just to clarify. Um, You'll be looking at roughly 20% because the banks know this is for you making money. Now, the reason why the banks will give you a lower percentage when you own the home is because when financial hardships hit, you're not going to sell your house. You need somewhere to live. You'll sell your Xbox. You'll sell off your clothes. You might even sell your car but you are really going to hold on to that home. So there's a lot of financial security for them. So they're willing to give you better rates and a higher mortgage for it. Mm -hmm. Not true when it's an investment. If things start going sideways, you don't care about it quite as much. 20% is also very true for a thing called CMHC, which scares people so much and it shouldn't. Before I let you off, make sure you check out the Barbershop Quintet podcast on all streaming platforms. Give us a like, give us a five-star review on Apple Pod, and follow us on BB Shop Quintet Podcast on IG. You can also email us at bbshopquintetpodcast at gmail.com for any comments, questions, concerns, or advice or tips. I would love to hear your comments on our top five. Make us your top five of the day. You know, hot take of the day. (laughs) Don't be afraid of it. It's called the Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation. Very simplistically put, Mm -hmm. if you pay under 20% down payment, they will insure your mortgage. It's a way for the banks to feel safer and it's something incredible that Canada does for people, it is an extremely small amount extra. There is a fee involved with it, 
So if you were buying the same house and put down 5%, over the course of your entire mortgage, you would pay more money than if you put down 20% for the exact same house. Huh. However, it is so small, I highly recommend it. Now, this is a question you should ask your banks and your mortgage broker. They can break this down to the exact penny, so there's no surprises. Hmm. But uh, I've got a really good example. I had a client who had found a home, and we'd been searching for so long. She, she really didn't have a whole lot of money. It was a first-time home buyer. And she said, this is it. This is the home. We put in the offer. We got it. She calls me all upset saying, Connor, I can't buy the home anymore. And I said, what, what's going on? She says, I've had car problems. I think I need a new transmission. I simply can't afford to buy the home anymore. So often people won't talk about financial specifics, um, you know, like the nitty gritty, like the down payments with their agents. So I asked her, you know, what kind of down payment were you looking at? And she said, well, 20%, because I, I can't afford to pay the CMHC fee because she'd heard it was so, so bad. Her family had hyped her up about it and they didn't think it was a good idea. So I broke it down for her and I said, if you pay instead, it, this is just for her case, so don't take this as a general. Yeah, yeah. I said, if instead you paid 7% and you fix your transmission entirely, and you have a little bit of money left over just in case anything else goes wrong, like mm -hmm. we talked about, don't go house poor, you will pay $11 extra a month. Mm. So I said, can you not go to McDonald's for me once a month? And she said, I think I can do that. And I said, <laughs> well, con congratulations, you've got your first home. Bingo, there you go. That, that's, so, that's very important, yeah, no. So yeah, you, you do flat out, I don't want to lie to people, you pay more money if you pay less than 20%. However, it really shouldn't be the difference maker. Getting into a home with less money down can straight up be the difference between you getting a home or not. And I think it's better long-term for you to buy and pay that little bit extra than it is to keep renting. Yeah, yeah. It's like interest, right? In a sense, like... Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, don't be afraid of it. That's a that's a great question to ask your mortgage broker or your bank. What am I looking like for CMHC numbers? Can you break down exactly what my monthly payments are and what they're made of? They'll happily do it. Is there anything else you want to add into how a mortgage works besides from the CMHC fee? Anything else that you can't really break down or explain because you're not a mortgage broker or specialist yourself? Yeah, I don't know how much more in-depth I can go about it. Mm -hmm. I guess it does kind of come back to there's no such thing as a stupid question. And if it means you're sitting in front of your mortgage broker or bank for three hours asking questions, that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. Same with same with real estate, anything with a big financial investment. You should know exactly where those dollars are going and why. And if they can't explain it to you, that's a problem. You should have someone who is able to explain that to you. But yeah, I think that was the biggest thing. Yeah, a lot of people get afraid of CMHC, and uh, they really they really shouldn't. It can be it can be a wonderful way to get in so much earlier. A lot of people insist that they must have twenty percent, and you just don't. You can get in with as little as five percent. Mm -hmm. So, well, since we're putting the down payment, you know, 
in the air and everything else. And we're, we're going to be hitting the net, the, this next question here, which I will also want to put it in the air as well, because I think there's also a misconception or like a mix of information here. There's something called a first time home buyer discount. Is that correct? The government gives you a certain percentage off of your down payment that you don't necessarily have to pay off or some sort of thing like that. Can you clarify that for me and confirm or, you know, unconfirm whatever you believe what the or the real number it depends on a whole lot of different factors so i think giving hard specifics on that might be the wrong call i don't want to mislead someone on it yeah, yeah um, of course. It, it can depend it can depend on such a variety of factors but that is something that your mortgage and your lawyer should all be handling your your bank shouldn't I, i've never encountered a bank that wasn't going to try to do that for you that being said, as, as with anything, that, that's a great question to bring up. I mean, you're doing half of my job for me here. <laughs> I should work in your field. Fuck. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you're um, welcome to. I'll train you. You can be on I'm my team. Good. I'm good. I'm good, bro. Uh, it's not my... Um, but no, that is a... Yeah, that, that might be a bit too nuanced to get into on this podcast. But yes, there are grants from the government. There are bursaries from the government. There are also inherent discounts. Some of the bursaries are limited slots. There's only so many people that can benefit from them per year. Um, so it, it can be a very complicated process to get into, but ask your real estate agent about that. And your, your banks can offer you discounts and incentives. That comes back a little bit to the relationship lending that we were talking about, where they can offer you fantastic incentives to have hmm. your very first mortgage with them, similar to a car, where your insurance can be cheaper as a first-time driver, depending on the company you go with. Yeah, and, and all the different banks and all that will offer different rates and different incentives. So yeah, uh, shop, shop around. <laughs> so yeah, so just to wrap that all up, I guess for the first time home buyer discount, it's basically nuanced. You can't really dive into it because you don't want to mislead, but also you should really ask professionals. They'll break it down to you in a sense. They'll give you everything you need to know. And there's no one shot like number that's out there that everyone should be looking for. I'm assuming because in the win I've been hearing, Oh yeah. The first time home buyer discounts like 5% or 10% of your, you know, house price. It, like it, it all depends. There's, there's programs in place where they can give you the entire down payment or in some cases, a substantial portion of the down payment on the premise that you stay there for X amount of years. And, mm. you know, if you, if you leave early, you know, you would owe the percentage difference as if you had stayed there, or if you stay there for the whole time, it's often 20 years, you would owe nothing. So you've got a mm -hmm. down payment for free, but it's not always realistic for someone to stay there for 20 years. Like we said, the average is between eight to 11 years. So it's just very hard to place a specific number on that as there's so yeah. many different ways to get a, uh, you know, a first time discount kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I will note though, some people are rudely surprised. If you are buying a house with a parent, for example, you won't qualify for it. They are they're very stringent on that. If you are a first-time home buyer and you are co-signing with someone who is not a first-time home buyer, no discount. Basically. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. On to the next question. Now, since we're also on topic finance, I'll just shoot you another finance question here. Rude awakenings. What are some of the type of fees? that are associated with purchasing a home that people don't really notice. Like 
And on top of that, you can also add the fees that you sh that are already there that you should look for, like the commission for the real estate agent, the lawyer fee, and so forth and so yep. forth. You know, the soundbite there is the list price is not the purchase price. I know that's a little scary for people to hear, but you hit the nail on the head. So when looking at a home, the purchase price, this is assuming, of course, the seller is using an agent themselves, will include the commissions. You will never pay your agent extra unless we said, you know, there's the cases where the seller is not using one, but your, your agent will bring that up to you. So it's, it's not necessarily worth diving into. Mm -hmm. But commission should be included in the purchase price, not extra. Mm -hmm. But great question, lawyer's fees are not included in that purchase price. Mm -hmm. And not all lawyers charge the same dollar value. It's hard to give advice on this one because not all lawyers even quantify things the same or categorize them. Yeah. So every lawyer's firm has a different way of organizing the fees and labeling them. It's very hard to break down specifically what each fee is. The mm -hmm. best question you could ask them is, what is the you know, final total that I'll have to pay? Because some lawyers are cheaper than others. Mm -hmm. Some lawyers include in their base price different uh, amenities. Mm -hmm. So a lawyer could include certain legal fees in their base price while other lawyers won't. The, I, I know this is just for first time home buyers. So simply put, don't ask about a lawyer's base fee. Okay. Ask about a lawyer's final fee. Uh, um, there's very, very large differences. And it, there's just too much nuance between lawyers to ever sit down and explain that. It'll be different in my city to your city. I'm assuming that's the same as the appraisal fee then, in a yes. sense? Now, appraisals around here are very straightforward in terms of pricing always check with what it's going to cost before you hire someone they'll never hide that from you but it should be a flat fee it should not be uh if they find this it's more if they find that it's more it should be a flat fee the only time it would be higher is if you need a fireplace inspected and that's a really good tip there home inspectors are able to inspect fireplaces but not all home inspectors are qualified to it's a different qualification. So it's a great question to ask. For example, I've got a couple of local gentlemen around here who are home inspectors. The average going price for my area, at least it may differ for yours, is mm -hmm. $400 for a home inspection. Okay. It's then $50 per fireplace because there's quite a bit involved in inspecting each one. Mm -hmm. If you hired a home inspector who's not qualified to in inspect the house, well, in, in inspect the fireplace specifically. Yeah. It would be $400 and then $350 to call the fire department to inspect the fireplace. Whoa. Yes. So knowing what your home inspector is qualified to do is very important. Wow. What? The home, inspect the home inspector That's... is there anyways. So yeah. he's happy to check it out. He was going to that house regardless. And he's qualified to do so. But not all home inspectors are qualified for fireplaces. Now, how do you know if they're qualified or not? Does, like, do you straight up just ask them if they're qualified? Yes. To, yeah. Yep. If they have a website, they'll advertise it. If they have a business card, it'll be on it. Failing all that, simply just ask them. They can't really lie about it. So there, yeah. there's special forms they have to fill out during the home inspection that they have to give you as a client. You, you don't just get told verbally whether it's fine or not. They actually give you a report that you can read through in detail. Mm -hmm. 
but yes, it, it can be a, it can be a very big financial difference. Mm-hmm. Now, is there any other fees that we should be looking into besides those three when buying a home or before purchasing a home? Sure. There's always a couple. There's there's the commission, check if it's included or not. There's the lawyer fees, make sure you know what you're paying ahead of time. There's the insurance fees. If you're a first-time home buyer, sometimes you have to set up with an insurance company. Some are mm-hmm. free, some have you know very little cost to that, but mm-hmm. it's still money you maybe weren't expecting. Yeah. A nice tip for that is if you have other things that are insured, such as a car, you know, yeah, combine that. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, all the time. See if you can. It's not always the best, but it stands a good chance. Other little fees can include uh, moving fees. If you're hiring a company, that can be, you know, a couple hundred bucks that you maybe weren't expecting. You didn't account for in the math equation. Yeah, that's fair. Any fees that they should, that first time home buyers should be looking into after purchasing the home. Like once the home is under their name, they got the keys besides from insurance, besides from utilities, besides from, you know, maintaining it. Is there any other fees they should be like any lawyer fees or real estate fees or anything like that? They should be like, be aware of all of the big fees should be laid out ahead of time. (laughs) One, a lot of people don't think of is uh, leave some money aside to change all the locks on your house. Ah, Interesting. Why is that? I know it's common sense, but why is that? when, When someone moves, you know, it, it so rarely happens, but you know, maybe they didn't hand all the keys in. Or, uh, you know, maybe a, a cousin or a friend has a spare key for them. So that's a key to your house. So it, it can cost you, you know, maybe a couple hundred bucks, depending on what you want to buy. But just switch those locks out just for the peace of mind of it. Yeah. And you don't want a surprise visit from, you know, some Joe Schmo who's a cousin of the, you know, <laughs> the previous homeowner. So. so moving on now, I mentioned appraisals and and we were mentioning all this stuff and there's some jargons that I want to get into now. So there's a little segment. I like to call this the quick five. So we just speed go round quick round, but in this case, it's just going to be called the five because I don't want you to quickly go through it. Appraisal. Let's just start off the bat. What's an appraisal. Does the bank think it's worth what you're buying it for? Simply put, if uh, an appraisal comes in low, that's a big problem. If you are going to try, if you're going to go try a, to buy a house that's you know five hundred thousand dollars, and it appraises for four fifty, that fifty thousand dollar difference is your problem to make mm-hmm. up, because the bank is saying we'll only give you this amount of money. I would say a good like ninety ninety two percent of all homes appraise properly, but if the bank for some reason disagrees because they do hire outside appraisers, just to be clear, that it's not worth it, that could be an issue. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. That's why that's why it's important to have a financial condition because mm-hmm. that's all part of that. If the bank's not going to give you the money, it often means you simply can't afford the home. And mm-hmm. that's important to know. Now, funny you said condition. In one of your, or multiple, or all your videos actually, there's something called conditional selling. I don't know if it's a term that's going to be used in buying per se, but what does conditional selling mean? If it's not used in buying for a host first time home buyer, your parents have a lot of money. My friend, a condition is simply understood as I will buy your home. If 
Okay. So, and, and the if is the condition. So you have a financial condition. I will buy your home if the bank will give me the money. Mm-hmm. If you have a home inspection condition, I will buy the home if the uh, home inspects to a level I'm happy about. You know, insurance condition, same, same deal. If I'm able to get insurance, I will buy the home. But a, a big thing to know about that is if your agent is any good, he's going to write it so you're bulletproof. Mm-hmm. A big example of that is the home inspection condition. It says at the sole and absolute discretion of the buyer. So skipping the legal jargon, what that means is if you go and get a home inspection and the home inspector tells you, you know, the, the stairs are a little jacked, you know, the front door is slightly off, but these are all fixable things. It's your choice whether to move forward or not. The home inspector cannot say condition fulfilled. You must buy the home. Yeah. It's still your choice. So you should ask your agent how they write conditions. There's a lot of, there's a lot of nuance that can go into that. Um, mm-hmm. Condition precedent, condition subsequent. A lot of agents will be cringing that I brought that up. So now they're going to be asked about it. <laughs> but long story short, the conditions should be written in a way where if things aren't going to turn out for you, you can just walk away. No hard feelings. Fair enough. Fair enough. So it's like that loophole, basically, in the sense that you could just back out safety. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so many things you don't quite know like it it takes Mm -hmm. time to get a mortgage together you need to get a home inspector in there all those different things so yeah Yeah. it you you should absolutely have conditions on your first home in some really fast markets a lot of agents will try to convince people oh the only way you're going to be able to buy this house is to have absolutely no conditions and to go you know 30 grand above asking price that's very dangerous because (laughs) if anything if anything goes wrong you have no outs you have bought this house and somehow you need to get that money now Mm. Fair enough. All right. Next question for you. Not next question, but next term that we need to decipher here. Offer to purchase. (laughs) A very long piece of paper that labels all the conditions, terms, and clauses. An offer to purchase is how much you're going to buy the home for, when you're going to buy the home, who is going to buy the home. It labels all the names. Mm -hmm. It will include all of the conditions that we just spoke about. There's three big ones and then several other small ones that depend on the area and home condition and all that. But yeah, the offer to purchase is uh, what I talked about kind of all the way back in point one. It's a 13-page document to start, and it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. Your agent should be going over this with you so far ahead of when you're offering a home for purchase. Mm -hmm. There's only a few times where I haven't been able to go over it with a client before submitting an offer. You really need to understand what it says. A lot of it is very easily broken down, but the way it's written can be confusing. Mm. So if you're looking at it with, you know, eyebrows to the roof, don't feel bad. Everybody does. That's why you have an agent. But simply put, it's the thing that lets you buy the house. That's easy. All right. Perfect. One last term for you here. Home loan insurance. Home loan insurance should be CMHC, essentially. Okay. That, right. that, is, that is pretty much what we were talking about. Yeah, we, we, I feel like we've covered that pretty in depth already. Right. Perfect. Um, it, it is the insurance placed on your mortgage, simply put. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. Now, is there any other terms that home, first-time home buyers should be looking at or should keep their eyes peeled for? Hey y'all, 
as you heard, sadly, I do not have any sponsors, but I do have very amazing and talented friends and apps. I'd like to give a few quick shoutouts and shamelessly plug in here. The stunning and sleek hand-drawn and hand-painted logo that you've seen, go check out my friend Ashley at her IG account at ashley.bydesign. That's at A-S-H-E-L-Y dot B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N for your creative and artsy needs. Now for my banger of a intro and outro, I gotta shout out the musical mastermind at by Dylan. That's at B-Y-D-I-L-L-E-N for all of your music production needs. And two apps y'all need to try out. Canva, where I created some of my social media content and promo from. And Groovepad, for the sick West Coast style transitions you heard right before this plug and right before we get back to the program. Well, go check them out and we'll be right back. I have heard some people talk about walking score before, but I I disagree with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Simply put, it's a numerical value placed on what we talked about before. The amenities, how many cool things or important things are near the home. I don't believe a numerical value ever does you a good job of it. If you're moving to an area you're not familiar with, just make sure you have an agent that knows the area. Any agent worth their salt will be able to tell you how far something is, roughly. You know, for example, we have uh, the Bruce Power Nuclear Center, very close to my hometown. From pretty much any home, I can estimate how far of a drive that is to work because so many people in our area work there. Your agent should know, you know, where's the nearest Walmart? Where's my Starbucks? What grocery store will I be using? Where's my nearest bank? Mm. Um, All all those kinds of things. Some people try to put a numerical value on it, but it's it's really only valuable when you're not familiar with the area at all. And if you're not, mm. your agent should be. That's their job. Yeah, fair enough. So don't, don't, if you are on that realtor.ca site, don't look at that number, basically. It, it, can be, it can be interesting. It should never be enough to base a decision off of, however. Okay, okay, okay. So this is something you did touch upon before a bit when you were talking about how a first time home buyer, like, you know, down payment would be different from if you were buying multiple homes, right? To yes. rent it out. Now, what's the big buzz of property income? Why are people getting into that a lot nowadays? Sure. The simplest answer is it has a higher return than investing your money into a bank account. Stocks can be scary for a lot of people. Some people simply never learn how to use them or why to use them, which no fault of their own. Yeah. Putting your money in a savings account, you know, has a, a very low percentage. If you have a great savings account, it'll be, you know, 1.3 to 2% if you've got an incredible deal going on. Yeah. But last year alone, Ontario increased in sales prices for a residential home on average 19.1%. That's incredible. That's almost a 20% increase on the value of your home. You can't get that in a lot of different investments, Yeah. Um, but you can in real estate. And, you know, uh, unfortunate for the viewers at home, but I I could send you this. I actually had a chart ready for that exact question in case you brought it up. Oh, wow. Those, those are the price rates over the last five years for some of my local trading areas. 
and the different towns associated. The general gist of it, for those listening, is that over time, real estate always goes up. It, it does go up and down, yes. But if you look at real estate homes you know, 20 years ago, you could buy a house for $87,000. Mm-hmm. You cannot buy a lot of vacant land for that anymore. So real estate is the absolute long game. And it will always increase given a long enough period of time. It, sometimes, yes, it can be a long period of time. And you need to know that going in. But in the meantime, you can rent that property out. And if you're able to rent it out for, say, even $50 profit a month after you've paid everything off, that's a good investment. It's you're money in your f- pocket. Yeah. It's, it's money in your pocket immediately that you should save for repairs, <laughs> even though nobody does. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were able to get it for just whatever that down payment was. Yeah. And if you hold on to it for 10 years, you can make tens or sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on where you're able to buy. So it's a very long-term investment, but it's incredibly safe. All right. And that's, that's probably why when we were, I guess, in university together, there you'll see like one person, like one landlord who'd be owning multiple properties around the area because they know it's so, it's such like, a very flourishing market to be in, in terms of putting the money into it, right? So that's an excellent example. Think of McMaster University or Toronto University or wherever you've gone to when you're listening at home. The amount of homes surrounding the university or colleges are finite. You can't yeah. just throw up another one. Yeah. So if you own one, you know someone is going to rent that out if you keep it in half decent enough shape. Yeah. That is guaranteed money in your pocket. And if you sell it in 10 years, there are still the same amount of homes available around the university. Yep. You're going to sell it for a profit. With what you said before, like the amenities aspect of it does drive the resale value of it because there's a school, because it is a student housing scenario, a student property. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's money in the bank. It. Yeah. Yeah. People do need to be aware that, you know, uh, flipping homes like you see yeah, on television a lot is very unrealistic. Very few people can truly buy a home, renovate it, and flip it in a few months for massive profit like you see. So that's something that's definitely sensationalized. But long term, yes, real estate will always go up. See, I don't know if I told you this, but I was talking about that flipping thing. And I, I rarely see that now. Um, I think I only see it in Hamilton a lot where... Um, there's a lot of gentrification going on with like older buildings, right? And they buy and they turn in, you know, rent it out or flip it into uh, um, like buying commercial properties and making like nice shops and gentrifying Barton Street and whatnot. My home, you've been to my home before and it, it's not the nicest area, neither it is in the nicest house. But my mom bought it for 60 grand. I sold it for 110. Three years later, that same person who like bought it for 110 flipped it for 350. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You you see a lot of examples of that. Um, We just sold a home kind of just before the pandemic hit for, we'd listed it for 210 when we thought we were really stretching. We really did. And we we told our client that, but he, he wanted to see what we could get. It was purchased for 240. 
it's been renovated and yeah, they're uh, it's back on the market already for 300. Damn. But yeah, I do want listeners to be aware that's not the average. Yeah. That that's often very specialized people that seriously know what they're doing. They do a lot of yeah. the renovations themselves as well. Yeah, because because the misconception of it that like property brothers or what's his name um the guy from hgtv as well like he he's the one who was very well known for renting out properties and flipping them right and i mean they make it look so easy but it's really not yeah that's definitely a big misconception but yeah the government of ontario has a policy of intensification now so they will happily let you you know tear down an older home to put up a you know a duplex or a fourplex to try to get more homes in there because, uh, you know, we're running out of spots, <laughs> simply put. You can only yeah. build out build out a city for so long before it becomes a metropolis and then you start losing farmland and, you know, naturally protected environments and all that. So, yeah, uh, there is a finite amount of homes almost no matter where you live. And if you're able to hold on to it for long enough, it will show its rewards. Perfect. One final question before we wrap up this question segment and go into the buzz cut lighting around here for someone who's buying a new house or like not not for a property income but for like their first time home to reside in can you rank me between these three what or maybe in and even if you can give me the pros and cons for each for which property they should really be looking to buy for the first time home condos a house or a strip of land then developing something on top of it for a first time home buyer don't try to develop a piece of land right away it's a lot to get into that's definitely number three pretty pretty much without question it's fun i do a lot of new builds myself it's an exciting process it's a lot for the client especially when you're not familiar with how to purchase a home to begin with having to sit down in front of a builder and fill out, you know, even more forms. Um, for example, the last house I built, the agreement for that was 84 pages long. The uh, standard agreement right. for a normal resale home was 13. We said, so you can see the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, you got to deal with Terry and warranty, which is a whole different level mm-hmm. of insurance and different regulations. I, I do not recommend this. <laughs> But for home or condos, I truly believe it depends. Now in my local market, I would say buy a house, don't buy a condo, because that is like almost politically what people believe. My local area is very against condos, whereas places like Kitchener, for example, love condos. There's so many condos in Kitchener. Yeah. So it depends on where you are for what's available, but it also depends on who you are, hmm. for example. If you are the person that enjoys cutting the lawn, you know, going outside, really making the house your own, having full ownership and control, but also full responsibility, buy a house. It's going to be very rewarding, and you are literally the king or queen of the castle. Mm-hmm. But if you are someone who works extremely long hours, you don't care about gardening, or financially, you're really cutting it close. You can't afford a snowblower or... Mm-hmm. A lawnmower or things like that those can be very expensive machines mm-hmm. perhaps consider a condo for mm-hmm. a set fee a month someone is going to take care of all the outside problems for you yeah the the reality is most people 
will not set aside, you know, 200 to $300 a month for savings in case anything ever goes wrong. A mm. condo does that for you mm. through the condo fee. A lot of things people don't understand is condos are not for profit. They find the contracts, they pay them out, and that's it. A condo corporation, the people in charge of it, are made up of fellow homeowners for that condo. They're not gouging you because they also pay those fees. That being said, I think you can maybe feel a little more special as a first-time homeowner buying just a straight-up house. Yeah. That would be my my personal preference. Yeah. But that's also because I enjoy all the things that come with the you know added responsibility of it. No, of course. Um, it's, subje- it's subjective, right? In a sense. Yeah. I, so. I, th- I think if I had to answer, it'd be house, condo, plot of land in that order. But for a lot of people, condo will take number one. There you go. And now, now I guess I lied because I said that was the last question, but this is a follow-up question to the condo part of it. Now, if you were buying a condo, let's just say, right? Downtown Toronto, let's just say, but comparing that to buying a home and then it's resale value. Do you profit as much from reselling a condo? Like does the resale value of a condo go up exponentially or non-exponentially compared to a house, let's just say? I think probably the biggest deciding factor in that is going to be location because they're often going to be in slightly different areas. Mm -hmm. If I had to generalize, I would believe a home is going to increase in value more than a condo. Interesting. Um, If you also something to consider for renting out is, you know, that conversation again, there's more money in your pocket if you're renting out a house for an income property. However, so many of the issues and landlord responsibilities are taken care of for you by renting out a condo. Mm. So it's it's really close. It's, it depends on who you are. Like if you were going to have 20 plus income properties, you probably want those to be a condo. Or if you have a very busy life and you, you really just don't want to deal with an income property, you just want to get the money from it, maybe a condo. Yeah. I, I think there'd probably be slightly higher return on value from a home overall. All right. Perfect. Well, Thank you again. That wraps up our question segment here for today. Now, before we head into the buzz cut lightning round, if you can please just recap your list from one through five, you don't have to dive deep into it. You could just list them off. And uh, once you're ready, just uh, hit it up and yeah, shoot. Sure. Well, I'll just take the time to also thank you again for being here. This has been a lot of fun. No, thank you. uh, No, we appreciate it. So number one is find a good agent that you can trust. Everything builds off that. Number two, look to sign a buyer's representation agreement. Number three is go ahead and get a pre-approval before you ever look at a home. Number four is fill out your lists of needs, wants, and don't wants. And number five is finish hiring the rest of your team. And those are your top five tips for first time home buyers, ladies and gentlemen. Now, heading into the buzz cut lighting round here. This is something special because this is your first time and it is a default because you would be the default winner or loser <laughs> regardless of how this turns out. But it's a, it's a nice little gimmick that I do with my guests here when we have a panel. We, you know, so I'm just going to break it down to you how this is going to work. It's a refresher as well for the listeners at home. So you'll be presenting your best pitch and your argument and no, I don't take bribery. So Connor, you can go F yourself. You're not going to send me anything. You're not going to be like, oh, Mr. Big, how are you doing? Chibi, chibi. 
Um, I cancel no. the Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> so you can show me why your answer should reign supreme, and I will ultimately choose who's you know the winner. But again, you're the only person here, so that doesn't really matter. Well, I I had a worthy opponent. Who is that? Me also. Oh, you yourself. Okay, cool. <laughs> you're your your own uh, competition, I guess. Sure. But again, the only catch, regardless, 50 seconds, that's your mark. If you hit it up, I might turn you down. So if you pass that 50 seconds of mark, I might be like, nah, I'm not feeling it. But if you are, cool. So the question for today, since we were talking about real estate and buying a home and what to look for, and especially the list, before we were recording, I had a, we have a mutual friend who kind of made a funny joke and said that, oh, you're never going to drag me into Kincardin, Kincardin, where you live, where you reside. And you said also right before that was that, well, you're Tony, you're assuming right because I would never leave. You're going to stay put there for the rest of, well, for the time being, for the rest of your life, I'm assuming. Now, Kincardin aside. Ooh, okay. All right. So your question for today is, if it wasn't your house that you currently are living in and wasn't your town and no money was involved, you have a plethora unlimited amount of money. Yeah, your eyes just perked up. What's your list looking like? What's your dream house looking like and where? So I'll give you a few minutes for that. And if you already know this, I mean, sure. And whenever you're ready, just give me a thumbs up and I'll start the timer. So, so Connor, your buzz cut line around starts in three, two, one. Okay, so originally I was going to say that I wanted to go to uh, Scotland because I have so many family from there. However, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I'd be moving away from all my friends and the reason why I love the area I live so much. And that that really trains so much of my thought process and the house that I want. So I actually think probably my ideal place to live would maybe be Godrich, which is only a half an hour away. That's cheating. That's cheating? Okay. Um, I'd want to live live down in Alberta then. Uh, I'd want to live out in the mountains. I want to live in a home that, that is full of uh, wood design, open level, uh, open level main floor concept, uh, master bedroom on the main floor, all the other bedrooms above. Um, I want a house where I can entertain friends, have guests over uh, Christmases, Thanksgiving. I want a house where other people are welcome because a home is supposed to be where others come to you and you can you know build a life there. So yeah, uh, I gave you 50 nice seconds on my watch. I gave you an extra five seconds because I popped in and said that was cheating because you, you did it's 30, 30 minutes away from town from where you live does not count as a dream location. I was thinking like something like out there. See, I, I, I find that it's almost a, a cop-out answer though, because I would totally want to live in Scotland. I'd want to live on a small Island in Jamaica. Yeah. Um, that's the point I'll... of the question. That's the point of the question. Your dream I'm location. A, I, I'm a homebody though. None of it none of it would mean anything if I didn't have the people I love. Oh, and you deserve a W for that. So that's it. That's it for the day. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, yeah, like that's awesome because I think you really nailed the, uh, put the hammer on the nail there, I guess. I don't know what the saying goes, how the saying goes, but you really nailed it there because 
it really home is what you really, you know, make of it. And you oh, didn't really I, I believe that so much. It it's a home is not a place. It's a feeling. It's you know a physical home. It's not about what it is. It's about what it can bring you. Yeah, and as a, as cliche as it is, like you did not mention. I want bay windows. I want six bedrooms. I want a grand master kitchen. I want two pools. I want a deck. I want an infinity pool. Like you didn't mention any of those. All you said, all you said was, I want to move somewhere. The reason why you want to move somewhere. And then you digress and said, no, I can't leave. But then you brought it back to family at the end of the day. You wanted that homey feel. Oh man, you're making my heart melt, bro. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Maybe uh maybe I'm just too much of a dreamer as an agent, but I really do feel it's about where you can make a home, like where you can raise kids or see family or you know make memories. Because I don't know, it it doesn't uh doesn't really matter where you go if it's uh if you got no one to share it with, really. But well. I think with that answer, you took the W there. And regardless, you're the only one here. So you took the W either way. Well, again, thank you, Connor, for actually taking your time out of your busy ass schedule to come out today and giving us your expertise because, again, a lot of misconceptions and a lot of, you know, dialogues and monologues out there are put out there that misinformation that we don't even know ourselves so it's nice to have someone who's actually an expertise who actually can break this down for us and a lot of intimidating factors hopefully for our listeners at home and for myself as well have learned a lot and you know who's gotten those myths and uh, myths debunked now so for yourself where can the viewers at home find you yeah i'm on pretty much every social media platform best place to follow me is probably on instagram that's where i post the most amount of updates uh where you can find links to all my other stuff so that is just my name at connor coltrop can you spell that out if that's okay (laughs) i can indeed yeah Yeah. so c-o-n-n-o-r-c-o-u-l-t-r-u-p perfect and you you always set up these uh cool videos on mondays where you break down the area i guess of where you live and the sellings and the market and how everything's working in terms of the real estate market for lack of better words uh being redundant there but awesome i think there was also a video too that you just released that i commended you on about checking for molds and water damage in the house which is something that is also a thing on your list too when you're looking for a house or a house that you're currently living in you should really look into now thank you again now do you have one last final tip that you could leave off for our viewers or listeners at home today yeah honestly i think it's simple just ask questions there's so many things to learn we could never possibly cover it all in this podcast um i think we covered a lot of it but um (laughs) Ask, ask questions, ask questions of your mortgage broker, your, your bank, your real estate agent, yourself, your partner, your parents, whoever's involved in the decision-making, you can never stop learning. So it's a big process, but it's not as scary as it seems. So get in there and ask around. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. So for listeners at home, if you enjoyed this pod or have some thoughts on our list or want to submit your own topics that you'd like us to make lists and debate about, feel free to follow us on the IG account at BB Shop Quintet Podcast 
or email us at bbshopquintetpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you can give us a follow, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, and let us be your top five of the day. Cheers. <laughs>